Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast episode number 43. That was really interesting because you, you definitely have people that start to teach and then they don't continue to learn. And then after some time, you, you start to see, OK, well, this person is kind of plateaued. You know, they're not continuing working on their craft or. Yeah, it's, it's interesting sometimes when you see people's development and growth over time, you know. Well, I also I also have known people who do continue to to develop their dance skills, but don't improve their teaching skills. So with that being said, listeners, there is a huge difference between dancing very well and teaching very well. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire coming back at you. I hope you guys didn't miss me too much. Um, we were having some technical difficulties the last couple of weeks. Um, if you follow me on Facebook, you probably heard that I spilled mm-hmm. coffee on my last laptop the night. I think we scheduled that night to like talk or the day before or something like that. And mm-hmm. I had no laptop to record the podcast on and I didn't have a backup computer. So that's a whole nother story in itself. Um, but I do have a new laptop now, thankfully. And so now we're jumping back in the podcast and I have none other than Mrs. Rachel Cassandra back on the show with us to share with us another one of her awesome blogs that hit me. And I'm like, we got to talk about this on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, I'm excited to be back and talking to you, but don't marry me off yet, Charles. I'm not a missus. Mrs. Oh, I said that was completely unconscious. So for the guys, <laughs> Rachel Cassandra, I'm settling down, uh-huh. and so you're like just ready for for me to hit that status, I guess. <laughs> so fellas, Rachel is still single and ready to mingle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. So for today's podcast, I read a blog recently from Rachel that was titled "When Should Dancers Transition into Teachers," and I've had this conversation multiple times. Uh, over the years with me having other beginning instructors asking me or being hesitant to start teaching. It's like, well, I want to start teaching, but I don't know what to do. And other people are there and you've been teaching for a long time and I don't want to be disrespectful and and things like that. So this has been a conversation that's been something that I've had many times. And then reading Rachel's blog just kind of like was reading, I guess, taking a nice deep breath of fresh air of like somebody who understood <laughs> what it meant to like actually start teaching and all the different motives that go behind teaching. So I was like, let's go ahead and get online and, and talk about this together. What was your, I guess, motivation behind it? Was there a particular story or has it been like a 
culmination of a lot of different conversations? So, I mean, I wrote this blog post um, for a Latin dance community, and this was actually a request from my editor that it was a question that had come up from some of the readers. And yeah, so I volunteered to, to take on the topic, indeed, because I'd had such conversations, um, either from people that were feeling hesitant, or on the flip side, like conversations where people were being very critical of people who had begun teaching, and then kind of dealing with, well, is that criticism, you know, appropriate, well founded or not? Yes, I've, I've had those conversations as well. So Rachel, how, what was your story when you first started to teach dance? So I was working as a teacher in the uh, more traditional sense. I have been a classroom teacher. That's what I went to university for, got my teaching degree. And then um, I went away to Morocco and was working in a language school teaching English. And yeah, I got into dancing Kizomba just a little bit, had a bit of a taste and I got invited by someone who was already teaching Kizomba, Nelson Campos, who was based in the UK. He was based in Kent at the time. Um, And he invited me to come and train with him and start teaching with him. And so for me, it was a, I mean, I was going to say a gradual process. I guess that invitation was kind of an all at once thing. Yeah, that makes sense. But in terms of actually starting teaching, I mean, first I was very much the voiceless assistant and I was in training and I, you know, I made mistakes and, you know, sometimes in classes I would, um, you know, be demonstrating the role of the follower and then I would jump over and I would be in class learning to lead in the, you know, in the class that I was assisting mm-hmm, to teach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, for me, it was, it was kind of like being an apprentice. That's how I started teaching dance. I gotcha. So my journey into teaching dance is kind of like completely on the flip side of that because I didn't really enter an apprenticeship. Not that I would have, I'm sorry, I would have if I had given an opportunity or there's like another Kizoma instructor, but um, as you know, and if you've been listening to the podcast, I started teaching Kizoma with four months of experience under my belt, but a studio actually approached me to start teaching there because they wanted to like start Kizomba and I already started liking the dance and there's nobody else doing it. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well let's give this a try. I told the studio like, Hey, I've never taught anything before. Like for your paying customers, let's, (laughs) let's try and like do it. They said, no, we'll, we'll kind of help you and you'll learn along the way. And that's how I first got started. And Lo and behold, did I know that this was going to like become my full time thing at the time that I was I started teaching. But it's it's crazy because I'm being I get a lot of compliments on my teaching, but I didn't necessarily go through an apprenticeship. And we'll talk about that as well, um, because I still strive to like talk with you, Rachel, or talk to other instructors and kind of like talk about different motives and reasons why you do things to make sure that you are kind of molding your craft, you know. But there is sometimes mm, yeah, a natural knack for breaking things down that some people have, you know, so but I think everyone I mean, everyone ends up going through that trial and error process. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of like, you know, where and how are you doing that? I mean, for me, a lot of my trial and error in terms of understanding how to teach, how to break down concepts, how to assess uh, whether someone's understanding something. I did all of that during, you know, four years of education and multiple internships in school situations. Mm -hmm, Um, Then I had the apprenticeship 
period, you know, a year of uh, teaching with someone and kind of learning based on like, oh, yeah, I like the way that he does that. Mm, I don't like the way he does that. And, you know, this worked for me. This didn't work for me um, before I was ever a solo teacher. But I think if we you know for someone like you, Charles, when you were learning on the go, I mean, you were still doing the same thing. It's just that you were getting paid from the beginning. Exactly. Measly, not a big amount, but <laughs> I'm sure. No, no, no. Not to say like that was uh-huh. inappropriate. Anything. <laughs> All right. And, and one of the questions you posed at the beginning of the blog, and we'll put a link of this blog here in the show notes, folks, so you guys can check it out was not even when, but why, why yeah. to teach. And I think, um, that was really, really awesome. So can you share your thoughts on that, Rachel? Well, I think, you know, in the article, I go through basically several different motives um, that exist. Like I've met instructors, you know, working all over the world in various dance styles. And I felt like I was able to distill uh, people's motives down into a few like common points. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the main ones that I uh, came up with were profit, um, money, mm-hmm. uh, secondly, admiration or respect, something like that. Uh, third reason being demand. So something like you experienced Charles, exactly. <laughs> we need a teacher. How about you? Uh-huh. Uh, uh, fourth thing was teaching expertise. Like if you are a good teacher, maybe, you should be a dance teacher. Um, and then the last thing that I looked at was passion or enthusiasm. And I think, you know, nobody has, well, very few people have a single motivation. Normally it's some combination of these factors and, uh, you know, they can have good sides and bad sides. <laughs> Definitely. So starting off with the podcast to become a dance teacher, there is no official dance teacher university where you go and you take this class and okay, you can start teaching now. Um, there are some instructors that do provide instructor training and different dance styles and things like that. But if you in your city, like there's nothing legally stopping you from like wanting to teach, um, or started to teach a particular dance style. And well, at least as long as we're talking about social dance, I think there are some more official certifications if you're in something like well, ballroom dancing definitely has an official certification process. I think mm-hmm. ballet, there's there's some, you know, ideas about what you must be. But yeah, I, th- I mean, certainly for something like kizomba or salsa or whatever, mm-hmm. it's more about cred than it is about specific exactly. <laughs> certification. So talking about your first point that you made, money, I've hear a lot of comments about people's like, oh, well, they just want to teach and they want to go to the festival. So they're making all this money and things like this. And you and I both know, Rachel, like if you are teaching dance, <laughs> money is, is not your motivation. A lot of times it's just trying to like make expenses met if you're traveling to a particular city for a weekend or just like to not give away like your expertise and all the money that you put into it versus the money that you get out. It's not it's not something that's super marketable. And you talked about that, like just because you're able to teach a dance. I mean, or if you have a talent for, if you have a talent for dancing and you have a talent for teaching, that doesn't mean that people are going to be beating down your door, begging you to teach them how to dance, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. Otherwise I would be, you know, <laughs> I would be on that top level by now, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> no. 
when I when I first heard your story, I was like, that makes so much sense. Like he's coming from marketing. Like it's a totally different world. Mm -hmm, Definitely. (laughs) So you do have to market your service just like any other business. Like if you're the best, I don't know, computer repair shop in town, you still need to put ads out. You still need to talk to customers. You still need to be out in the community and have ads and offers to get people to come into your store. So there is a level of that. Now, with this being somebody's hobby versus somebody's full-time thing, uh, I think that puts a different amount of, of perspective on the money that you Definitely. make. Um, obviously, with me doing it full-time, like I need to, I can't go to a festival and offer to teach for, for free and then come back home and just have the personal satisfaction that I taught a class at a festival. Like, I need to bring back some take-home income, you know? And mm-hmm. it's, it's tough sometimes because sometimes I feel promoters look for those opportunities to where they can get like the most for the least and just get somebody there to like teach a class and we'll talk yeah, about I mean that's business right you know like find find the cheapest way for you to be able to just you know accomplish the thing that it is you want to do exactly um but yeah I've been I've been on both sides I mean I've never done dancing full time because I'm just not that kind of a risk taker and I know my limits in marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have at different points in my life, you know, uh, had it be more important or less important to my financial well-being. for sure. Definitely. And, uh, and I definitely have to say like for me personally, it's much more comfortable when I am able to do most of my teaching, not because I need the money. It's yeah. I I personally don't like having this motive, even though it makes sense. Like you're providing a service and you should be paid for that. I absolutely agree. You've invested Um, a lot of money into learning your craft as well. That's definitely true. Yes, exactly. But I think I'm much more comfortable being in a position where I can say, okay, like this is, this is what I cost. Uh, you can pay me or I just won't do it. And, and that's fine. Um, and also when people invite me to do things for free, like if it's for, you know, a good cause or if it's for my personal community or whatever, I can say, yeah, I'm going to invest in that because it's not going to affect my ability to pay my bills. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's really awesome that you have that self-awareness of knowing what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with. And if you're listening to this podcast, you have to ask yourself the same question. What are you comfortable with doing? Are you ready to market yourself a little bit more aggressively if you want to do it full time? Are you ready to take a income hit and push it out to try to make it more comfortable? How much are you willing to travel? There's a lot of factors that you have to ask yourself to see if you're willing to do that. But money is, I want to say more often than not, not the motivation for somebody to to start teaching. And I know you, you see some of those people that are motivated by money, but you can typically tell those people are more about the income versus the actual craft of teaching and the love for the dance, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I think I made that point in the article, like people can smell it on you. Mm -hmm, Definitely. (laughs) Um, The next point that you bring up here, Rachel was admiration. And I guess we could put slash ego in here. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Ego. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So obviously like, when you first start like having your flyer on like a local class, your picture 
on a flyer for a local class versus a workshop versus a festival versus an international festival, you know, there's definitely like a little bit of a, a ego boost or validation of like a certain amount of credibility and things like that, you know, but sorry, I was just thinking like there was this one time I, I taught at a festival um, internationally and they they didn't have like a logo. It was the first year that they had done that festival mm-hmm. and they used my like a, a little crop of my partner and myself, like uh, just us in the Kizomba embrace. Oh, uh-huh. And then. And, and so I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Like they're using our picture, like, you know, on the flyers. And then when we arrived, they had also made shoe bags. And for <laughs> some reason, I just felt super awkward at that point. Like having my face on the flyer, that was that was cool. That made sense to me. But then having it on shoe bags, I was like, hey, people are going to be like carrying these around like <laughs> like beyond this event. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with wanting to like be recognized for your talent and your expertise and depending on I guess what your motivations are as far as getting into dance but I don't think that can be like the main thing and I I think this is one of the main thing of of the money like they can smell it if you just want the ego because you've had those dance teachers where the spotlight is on them the whole dance look at me do this and look at me Mm -hmm. do this cool thing and look at me do that you know like Mm -hmm. or I've done this and I've trained with so and so and I've tried with this and they kind of make a lot of those comments and you can you can smell it on them when they're not there for the students I mean I feel like it really comes down to like insecurity right I mean every human being wants and needs validation. We need that affirmation. That's a completely normal part of just being human. But then the problem I think is when you need validation from the dance community and from your students, like that is the place where you are getting uh, your self-esteem and your, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Ego boosts. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it when people can feel that insecurity from you, that's when it becomes distasteful. And it's it's, it's I mean, on the flip side of that coin, you do want to be able to let the students know your credentials. You know, like if you have trained with so and so, and like okay, you know, like a you want to be able to establish that you are knowledgeable and you know what you're talking about. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a balance of that where you go overboard or I know sometimes students, if they're questioned about you, if they never heard about you, like, well, why should I learn from you? You know, and going back to the marketing thing, it's like, come learn Kizomba with Charles. I'm like, okay, well, if you're not the only Kizomba instructor in town, what makes you different than another instructor, you know? And Mm -hmm. so having that conversation is important, but it's different if that's your motivation for a lot of the class, or if you get that out of the way at the beginning, or if there's like a welcome video or something like that, just knock that out the way. Because I feel once you get them into class, your focus should be serving the students and it shouldn't be about you. You are being, you're offering a service. You're in, you're offering a service to them and you're serving them your knowledge for the sake of their growth. And in return, you do grow so much, but like you're so focused. It's like, okay, let me help you. Let me focus on you. Let me see what you're struggling with. Um, let me have your game plan of progress of what we're going to go through today, this week, this month, and et cetera, or this hour if it's a private lesson, you know? Let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Have you been looking to level up your Kizomba, but you don't have the local instructors to take you there? 
Are you looking for something concrete to practice with your Kizomba partner? Or are you looking for Kizomba lessons that you can take on your schedule and the comfort of your home? If you answered yes to any of these questions, look no further. LearnToKids.com is what you need. Progressive, step-by-step lessons that you can take at your pace in the comfort of your home or anywhere with a solid internet connection on your PC, Mac, or any smartphone. New videos are added every month. You can try this awesome resource out 30 days free at LearnToKids.com slash podcast. After the 30 days free, it's only a low $15 per month. But again, the special offer for the Dance Your Heart On Fire listeners, 30 days free at LearnToKids.com slash podcast. You won't find this offer anywhere else. LearnToKids.com slash podcast. And now back to our show. Yeah, exactly. And I think that leads nicely into the next point, which is about demand, right? Like what does the scene need? What are people asking of you? Correct. So if there's 10 instructors of your dance style already in town and your ego needs that boost, it's like, well, I'm better than all of them. I'm going to start teaching. I've, I've, I've had these conversations before. I've seen these kind of things happen, you know, mm-hmm. that happens sometimes. Yeah, like I I just recently relocated. Um, so I'm now living in Stuttgart in Germany. And I knew coming in, like, there's a good Kizomba scene here. There's a lovely team of people, you know, like it's not one teaching couple. There is a team of people, Afro Moves, that are doing Kizomba here. And there's another, you know, Latin-based studio that also offers some Kizomba. So I was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to start offering Kizomba classes, like, do I think I have something I can offer to the scene? Maybe eventually I'll, I'll take some private lessons, but I don't really feel like I need to start putting myself out there in marketing because the scene is doing well. Exactly. Whereas, you know, three years ago when I was, you know, getting started with Kizomba community in the U S and I had just come back from being in Europe, I was like, wow, so many places really want to do Kizomba, but they don't have a teacher that, that was my motivation or one of my motivations to kind of leave New York and start traveling and, and going to these places that wanted there to be Kizomba. Yes, definitely. So I've been dancing for over 10 years, but I started off with salsa and bachata and I never felt the urge or the need or the itch to, to start teaching salsa because we had so many awesome salsa bachata instructors already in town. You know, they had dance teams and, and everything, you know. But like you said, with Kizomba, it was like crickets, you know? So I'm like, well, if I don't do anything, <laughs> this isn't going to start anywhere, you know? So sure. knowing the demand of what's going on, and you had a line in the in the blog, in the article, Rachel, that I really liked when it says, do you even want to teach? Are you a mm-hmm. good teacher? And does the local scene need another teacher, you know? So again, it goes into that self-awareness. Just because you become a good dancer doesn't mean that you necessarily need to progress into a teacher depending on the Mm -hmm. on the how your local scene is doing but then if you don't want to do it like you don't you you don't you know i don't want you to feel pressured so even if it and i guess on the flip side even if you are in a local scene where there is nothing and you are a decent dancer and people are asking asking you to teach you still have the right to say no like that's not something that i want to do because it doesn't motivate you, you know, like the the craft of teaching or you don't want the stress or it's just a hobby for you and you don't want to like put the extra time in there. You know, it it takes a special individual to be willing to sacrifice their time and their money and their income to see a dancing grow. And there's many of those people across 
the world that have starting started many dance scenes, you know. And but I also I really respect the people. I mean, so when I was going around the U.S. and you know helping new scenes get started, you know, I'd have conversations with people about like, okay, well, how can you keep things going? You know, what do you want to do? And there, there have been several individuals that were considered, you know, they were the best dancer of Kizomba in that area. They were the ones that, you know, brought me or contacted me and got the, you know, organization set up with the studio. Um, so they were invested in that way. But even though people were saying, okay, so are you going to teach now? They're like, no, like, that's not the role that I want to have. That's not something that I'm interested in. And so they just did not. And I think that it's important to realize that there are other ways that you can contribute to the scene. Even if people are putting pressure, like we want to learn, like you're the best, you should teach us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay to contribute instead by uh, serving as a liaison to help bring in other people who can teach or, you know, making a space where it's possible for people to practice in an intentional way. And then maybe out of that, a different person will decide to take on the reins of, you know, exactly. teaching in that local scene. You can help support the scene in different ways without necessarily teaching. You know, there's some individuals mm -hmm. that support the scene in unique ways, depending on the amount of time and effort and desire and enthusiasm they want. And there's some people that wear every freaking hat possible <laughs> to make yeah. things happen, you know. And I, mm -hmm. I mean, shout out to these people who have brought you, Rachel, or myself, or other instructors to the scene because it is a lot of work. And like we said at the beginning, it's not really for the money at all. If you guys could see like some of the profit reports, you know, of these weekenders, it's really just to try to cover all the expenses and motivate the students. It's really about the students more than anything. If mm -hmm. your organizer slash instructor has their head in the right place. Yeah, for sure. Now, asking yourself, are you a good teacher? There was this question that kind of popped in my head. It's like, how do you even measure your teaching ability? How's expertise in teaching even, how do you grade yourself? Or how does somebody come and grade you, you know? Mm. And that was really interesting because you, you definitely have people that start to teach and then they don't continue to learn. And then after some time, you, you start to see, okay, well, this person is kind of plateaued, you know? They're not continuing working on their craft or yeah it's, it's interesting sometimes when you see people's development and growth over time you know well i also i also have known people who do continue to to develop their dance skills but don't improve their teaching skills so with that being said listeners there is a huge difference between dancing very well and teaching very well yeah <laughs> just to put that out there and um, I think we've, I've talked about this several times. I'm pretty sure we've mentioned it in, in some of our previous podcasts, Rachel. Um, I have this blog called The Five Talents of a World-Class Uber Dancer. And I kind of break that out a little bit. And I yeah. think there's something that you wrote that inspired me again. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, well, it was I, I don't know. I don't know if it was a particular blog. I do know that we had a conversation yeah. before you wrote that blog. And I was like, yes, please write it. It's been on my to do list. <laughs> And I just can't do it. <laughs> yeah. So just because a, a teacher dances very well doesn't mean that they teach very well. And I think as you be as a student, you come across those kind of people over time. It's like, oh, I love the like way that they dance. Any international, like any large international festival, mm -hmm. you are sure to take at least one class from someone who is brilliant and making YouTube videos. Mm hmm. 
and not at teaching. And this, so going on a small, <laughs> on a small tangent, not to go off too far off track because I want to stay on the podcast here. When we take a look at festivals, and I love the word you say festivals, the people on the flyer are typically more often than not, I would say heavy majority performers. Yeah. So you have people and performing and social dancing and teaching. Those are two different skill sets as a dancer, you know, and people want to <laughs> see a good show. They want to be entertained. Nothing wrong with that, you know, but that performance skill doesn't always translate into actually teaching somebody, you know, like from the ground up or being able to. It's one thing to say, oh, let's do this cool pattern. And it's one thing to like really sit back and like have an overall arcing theme for a particular hour or something like that to help people out, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that, you know, it, there's no way that we can break down like, okay, how do you become a good teacher? Like we can't do that in the next five minutes. No, we can't. Um, but I do think that it is important to actually have a plan for your class to have, you know, stated goals for what a student is going to be able to walk out and accomplish afterwards and have ways of checking to make sure that, the students are on their way to that goal and that they will be able to reproduce whatever that goal was when and you're not around and when they are with people who do not have the expectations created by the class. Exactly. Yeah. I think a, a crutch that a lot of people use is just purely teaching a, a pattern. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, and what ends up happening is that students come to class, they memorize the pattern uh, maybe the leaders remember and try to reproduce the exact pattern on the dance floor later. Big uh, maybe. The followers certainly just memorize it and then that's it. Like they mm-hmm. that didn't get much out of the class unless it was like a truly unique new thing that they had never uh, realized could happen. Yeah. And that's, that's very different from class planning. Exactly. And lesson planning, you know. And you start to see some of these you mentioned in the blog just because you've taken a class that is labeled instructor training or you have an instructor certificate doesn't mean that you know how to teach either. You know, I feel in order to become a good teacher, like it's good to have like maybe a mentor or make sure that you enlist a mentor like for at least a year or more, you know, to kind of help you get your bearings down, you know. So if you are a newer instructor, I would seek out somebody or an instructor that you respect and ask them, like, can you mentor me to some degree or something like that? I mean, I don't think there's a lot of those official programs. I've never heard of like an instructor program that's over a year long, you know, but um, it'll be awesome if that opportunity was there more often or if that was more of a thing or if there's like an international dance community. It's like, OK, well, you should be an apprentice for X number of years. I've seen that in well, Tango. It, it definitely happens, though, on a local level. I mean, you know, I'll put out one example uh like i was in rochester and i think when in rock kizomba you know elise has done a really good job of finding other people like melissa that Mm -hmm. you know she wants to see become just as good an instructor you know and and fostering her opportunities to do that trial and error. I mean, I think this happens in a lot of scenes. That's just one of the most recent places that I that I was and that I, I witnessed that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think very often you have a scene that starts out, it's just supporting one instructor or one teaching couple, and then it starts to get bigger. And maybe, you know, <laughs> the main instructor doesn't want to have to be around every single Friday night. Exactly. Um, and so they, they look for someone that's going to be able to start taking on some of that role. And, and that's where the mentorship happens. 
But if you are sort of alone in your scene, yeah, it's 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 harder to find some kind of official uh, opportunity for sure for mentoring. And yeah. if you've and this is why it's really important in my opinion. And I got this um, from Carlos Sinta. He will go and he will take classes from other people, not necessarily in the class, but he'll just sit back and observe them and watch the way that they break down information, the way that they set up the teachers in the room, the orientation of the students, like, okay, well, let's get into this position. Let's get into this form for this particular exercise. And he sees the way that people break down information, even outside of dance. I like to see an instructor or a training or something like that that's respected to see the way that they disseminate their information, you know? And that also Absolutely. gives you perspective of how you're breaking down your class, you know, versus just having having in this bubble and not kind of putting yourself in a position where you're not seeing it from another person's perspective, you know? Because there's different learning styles, there's different teaching styles. Just because you have, just because you're a good teacher for one person doesn't mean that, that your teaching style resonates with another person, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I do think, you know, like you said, you can uh, watch an instructor who's not even a dance instructor and you can learn something about teaching. I mean, the same is true if you really want to be a teacher, if you really feel like, yeah, I'm motivated to do this, but I need the expertise. Um, there are many different kinds of teacher training that exist that are more formalized that you can do and that will inform later your ability to teach dance. Definitely. All right, let's talk about the final motive because you know it's my favorite one. Passion. Passion. All right, this is like the whole name of your podcast, right? Like Dance Your Heart on Fire. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's passion is, is a very interesting word, you know, and it, I think it means different things to different people, you know, but mm. I feel and I'm going to take myself out of the equation and I'm going <laughs> to put myself into a role of a student and taking other people's classes, you know. And why mm -hmm. a particular why you enjoy taking somebody's class versus another instructor's is that you can see the the passion behind it. You know, you can see the smiles. Mm -hmm. You can see the the sense of servitude to the students. Um, you can see they really want to grow the dance. You know, the spotlight is on the students. The spotlight is not on the instructor. They're behind the scenes guiding you to become a better dancer, you know? And yeah, I think, I think a true passion, is almost like a kind of magnetism when uh, students see the love that the instructor has for the dance and for the community. Um, and like you're talking about with being willing to serve and facilitate and support. Um, that's what really makes them feel like, okay, this is something I can be excited about too. This is something I can belong to. This is something that I can grow in. It's yeah, it's a powerful feeling. Definitely. You know, and when your motive is one of the other ones that we talked about, whether it's mode, it's ego or whether it's money and it's not the passion for it. I feel like people can, can tell, you know, and then, my favorite instructors or if I go out and seek out a tango instructor or a West Coast swing instructor because I heard good compliments about the way that they teach, you can see that it's really, really something that they enjoy doing. And this is where they want to be right now, this second in front of you teaching this dance. You know, it's not something that's like another thing on their to do list, you know. 
And yeah, and I do think sometimes it is okay to teach without passion. Sometimes demand is great enough, mm-hmm. like that it makes sense. I used to be part of a, a swing dancing scene in college, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, after my freshman year, basically all of the upperclassmen that had been teaching, they all left. Like everybody graduated or finished grad school or transferred or whatever. And suddenly it was just a whole bunch of us first years Mm -hmm. that were needing to teach the beginners. (laughs) And man, like a lot, most of us did not want to have that role. We didn't want to teach. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But we also didn't want the club to die. For sure. We didn't want there to be no more swing dancers. And so, yeah, we had to take turns and. And, you know, work on it, trial and error. And um, that was enough. Even if we didn't have a passion for teaching, at least we had enough of a passion for the dance and the desire to see the scene continue that, you know, we made it through that year until someone, you know, until somebody else came along. Exactly. You know, that on. Exactly. And it's all about self-awareness, you know, like now I'm going to shine the light on myself. I feel (laughs) most alive when I teach. I create memes that say I love to fucking teach like I get goosebumps when I see my students get light bulb moments and that's not everybody you know and whether if you do have that then go for it you know but if you don't have that then just be self-aware like okay how am I helping to contribute to the scene because I do love the dance you know so it's it's all about really self-reflecting and seeing what you want to take away from the dance. How badly do you, do you want to make this your full-time thing? Is this just a hobby? Are you just supporting until like this other instructor comes around? Or are you going to help facilitate it to get the scene to a certain level? Or, I mean, sometimes life logistics change. You know, you have a kid, you get a job. Yeah, um, definitely. Different parts of the year can be more stressful than others, depending on what you do professionally, you know, so there's a lot of different factors. So it's not one, there's not one uh, pathway into teaching, you know, there's a lot of different factors. Yeah, and, motives. and I think if you just, if you take the time, you know, you're talking about self-awareness, just check in, like after you have taught a few times, is this something that is draining you of energy? Do you feel differently if people complimented you during class or didn't? Do you feel stressed based on how many students came to class or how many students paid for class? Mm -hmm. Um, Does it become a source of anxiety or is it like you're talking about, you know, do you get turned, you know, turned way up and excited because of the teaching. I have people all the time that are like, what do you mean you're an introvert, Rachel? I've seen you in class. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> no one was more surprised than me that when I got in front of a group of people and started teaching them dance, that I got, I don't know, I feel like I get, yeah, extroverted. I get energized. I'm like paying attention to everyone. I have no problem with everyone paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in any other situation besides a teaching role, that that's, no, that's not the case. <laughs> Definitely, you know, and I'm an introvert as well. So I just feel like we put ourselves into a mental state, a physical state that's going to allow us to provide the most value to the students in that given time. Yeah. Yeah. And when that, when that need is not there, then we go back to our, our normal 
Clark Clint, Clark, Clark Clint <laughs> personality. <laughs> I knew you were going to take it to a superhero <laughs> metaphor. Uh, this is awesome. This is awesome. So, yeah, like if you want to teach, you can definitely start teaching. Um, figure out how you want to show up in the scene. Figure out what you want personally. I love the question that you asked, Rachel. Does it drain you or does it energize you? And yeah. that, that's a question you can ask about lots of different things in life, to your job, to your relationship, to the books you read, to the shows that you watch. Mm. How, the people what, you hang out with. The people you <laughs> hang out with. You know, are they energizing you or are they draining you? You know, that's that's a, that's a huge question. So, Rachel, I think um, this is an awesome podcast that we have so far over the blog. If you want to okay. check out the blog, please check out the show notes. I want to be a courteous guest and give Rachel an opportunity to give any last closing remarks and a way for you guys to seek her out on the social interwebs. Uh, yeah, so you can find more information about me personally and my teaching at rachelcassandra.com. Um, and then I also run kizombacommunity.com, which has all kinds of uh, informational resources about Kizomba as a dance and also about building your community. And, you know, you can find me on Facebook and YouTube and that kind of stuff as well. <laughs> so thanks again for having me on the podcast. I don't even know how many we've done so far, Charles, but I, I never get tired of it. These are great conversations that we have. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And thank you listeners for checking out the podcast. And we'll see you in an episode in the future next week. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey. Falei, eu te quero mesmo assim.